Welcome to Healing the Divide podcast, episode three. Today, I am joined by Alex Myron. And Alex, I'm so grateful for you to be here today, man. Thank you so much. Um, Alex and I have known each other since, I want to say, late 2019, early 2020, somewhere in that range. And um, it's been an incredible honor to be in the journey of life together with you to, to learn more about your past, to hear your story and to witness your growth. And I want to give you a little bit of an introduction um, for our listeners. So a little background, Alex is an army veteran who spent years in and out of therapy before finding ayahuasca and the healing arts. It was through these practices that he was able to start his healing journey. And today, Alex holds ayahuasca ceremonies, he facilitates men's work, he teaches yoga, meditation, and breath work, all in honor of supporting others in their own healing. So I want to start with a little bit of um, contextualization. Um, can you share a little bit about your background in the military? Uh, when were you there? Where did you go? What did you do? When I was just turned 19 years old month prior to joining the military. So I was in the military from 2009 to 2000, no, 2008 to 2012. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan at the end of 2009 and uh, you know did a year-long deployment, finishing up at the end of 2010. Uh, I deployed to Afghanistan, the Kunar province, which is northeastern Afghanistan. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I lost my train of thought there. That's okay. So, heard that over. What was no, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, just kind of like, what? Did, where did you go? What did you do? What was the nature of your work in the military? If To the degree that you're comfortable speaking about it and feel free to leave out whatever you're not. Yeah. So should I just start that all over? Yeah, I like the authentic. Let's just roll with it, man. Yeah. Let's just welcome this humanness right into our, into our story here. All right. So yeah, I deployed to the Kunar province at the end of 2009. And at the time, there was, you know, there was heavy fighting. I was in the 173rd Airborne uh, Unit. Uh, you know, moved through a lot of combat, a lot of uh, intense fighting in that area at that time. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to go into that too much. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. And, um, and we don't have to. And yeah, and I think, yeah, like the, the consent that is exchanged to move into those spaces is so important. So I honor that boundary in you and, um, and without moving into specificity, I guess the deeper reason for my questioning is to really give people a sense of what is the impact of the experience that's been had when maybe take us forward to the day you discharged and what did that feel like? What was the imprint of the experience uh, upon you? How did you view the world? How did you view 
yourself in relationship to it? Yeah. So at the time I was, you know, I was young, I was in my early twenties and I really didn't have an awareness of feelings or what was going on. I knew I, I just knew that I didn't feel okay. I was happy to get out of the military and really start life uh, over or, or a new chapter, so to speak. And, you know, so I was excited, but at the same time, there was this sense of like aloneness mm-hmm. and nobody really understanding me. Um, how could they, when I didn't really even understand myself. Uh, and, and so then that feeling gets projected onto other people. I felt alone because I wasn't with myself. You know, so therefore I thought that I was alone because everyone else around me, uh, you know, it was a form of projection. Anyways, I was angry. I was, I was bitter. I was upset with how things went. You know, I, I lost some friends. Um, <laughs> and just overall this feeling of being lost and not knowing where to go with life uh so there's uh, one side of that is like excitement because i'm a thrill seeker and the not knowing is beautiful but on the other side it was mass confusion within my own body and <clears throat> in my own mind and and so yeah it left me feeling angry i you know self-medicated with alcohol, you know, some drug use. Uh, I worked really hard, you know, I, I got to work after getting out of the military and started building my own business and rekindling a relationship with who I'm now married to. And, And I just worked really hard. And at the time, you know, from the outside looking in, most people would be like, wow, he's got his life together. Engaged, he's making money, he's a business, he's in a new place. You know, so from the outside looking in, it looked like everything was going great. But on the inside, I was not okay. You know, work became the distraction. You know, I worked really hard when I wasn't working, I was drinking. When I wasn't drinking, I was working. Sometimes I did the two at the same time. You know, it's I was my own boss. Why couldn't I? Um, <laughs> So it was this constant numbing and constant uh, trying to find something to distract myself with. Um, My wife, uh, Jacqueline, she knew I was struggling and she would encourage me to try and get help with the VA. So I did did go in and out of therapy for the better part of uh, a decade, um, eight, nine years, something like that. Uh, before coming to or finding ayahuasca or ayahuasca finding me, however you want to view it. Um, But the therapy never really got to the roots of the issues. You know, I thought that my, that my struggles and and all of that really stemmed from the military. Uh, As it turns out, they were just, they'd been there all along. The military just blew those, those beliefs that I had about myself and the world and my relationship from myself to the world just blew those up and and made them uh, that much more difficult to navigate. So 
the anger had always been there. The resentment had always been there. The feeling of unworthiness had always been there. It just made those feelings more intense. So, it, Why do you think that's so? Because without, without any awareness of what it is that you're going through, uh, life can actually begin to validate without even realizing you're doing it life is validating those things for you you know so you have friends that have died you have friends that have committed suicide like it validates this inner feeling of unworthiness like wow i wasn't good enough to know that they needed support and even if i knew they needed support i don't even know what i would do you know, so the the life circumstances can actually validate your your inner beliefs your, mm -hmm. your core false beliefs mine being one of them and i think uh, a lot of men might struggle with this one is an inherent like unworthiness it's like i'm not worthy so therefore i'm going to go out into the world to try to prove my worth and when life then shows you or you believe it's showing you that you're not worthy, it, it actually validates the experience that you're having. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a confirmation bias is getting reflected back from the way in which you're perceiving the world as if it's coming from the world, but it's its, its own subtle projection onto the world that then is the filter through which the reflection has to pass as it comes back into you. And so that feels like a a trap in a way of getting stuck in if it's in me and the world showing it back to me and then I put it back out into the world which the world gives it back I'd be interested to hear how you made your way like before maybe ayahuasca in those years of therapy you said it didn't really get to the root so what was your experience within therapy where it held value where it fell short um being that you're so invested in the therapeutic process now with people in a way that goes right to the root. Um, yeah. Where, <clears throat> what's your take on at least your own subjective experience with whatever forms of therapy that you uh, were working with? Yeah. So with the one-on-one -on -one therapy, it was helpful, you know, because it would get to the point where you're just so bound up. And, and there's nowhere for that to kind of, uh, that energy to move. So, you know, you'd find, I'd find myself in a therapist's office and it would, it'd be like, I'd just take a big fat dump right in their office. And it was like, oh, I got it off my chest, right? Like, I didn't even know what I was feeling, but I could kind of explode a little bit in that, in that safe environment that I might not have been able to do. Uh, with my wife or family members, friends, uh, they wouldn't know how to kind of sit in that, in that space. So it would relieve the pressure, you know, the, the building up of the feelings would help relieve some of the pressure. Um, so that was incredibly helpful, but it didn't actually address the issues. It was like a pressure release valve. Like a um, symptomatic benefit. So you could keep yeah. going, but not shift the underlying cause. Right. 
And then when I ended up in some group therapies, it was nice to hear that some people were just like a little bit more messed up than you. <laughs> and uh, and then it helped you feel a little bit better. Like, ah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not that bad, you know? Um, but then, but sharing in some of that camaraderie of, you know, Hey, like I'm now connecting with some other veterans and we're all in this together again. You know, so it, it touched on some of the feelings being in the military of like, we're all in this together. Um, but then there's also the, the feelings of like the therapist doesn't really understand what you went through. Like they understand from a kind of like an intellectual standpoint or an understanding, but not like an inner note. They, <laughs> they, they couldn't feel with you uh, because they themselves had never been through it. And so it felt separate in that way, which then would uh, kind of compound or compile into the, the feelings of resentment. Yeah, I would end up starting to resent my therapist because it's like, you're trying to help me, but you don't even know what suffering is. And, and so again, it, it came back to projection. Like you don't know suffering. And so it's almost like you're validating yourself in your suffering, which I can, I can kind of go back to one of my core wounds. One of my core false beliefs is unworthiness. And so now somewhere in my mind, I'm finding worthiness in how much I've suffered. And that it, that's entrapping right there. Now I'm in a loop. I'm actually finding value in my suffering and finding value in how much suffering I can go through. And so it's just, it's just a gnarly loop that you can't actually break out of. And so without knowing it, like the therapists are falling right into that loop with you. You know, they're, they're playing a role for you to validate your experience without actually helping you break the pattern. It's such an art form, you know, in the, the wisdom teachings that we both study and, and explore within our own self. It's, it's sometimes referred to as the razor's edge because you're validating and invalidating simultaneously. I want to honor the reality of the experience that I'm having, the, the, the validation of the emotions that accompany it, the beliefs that have been imprinted from which I am now perceiving and perpetuating these patterns. At the same time, I don't want to self-identify with them. I don't want to spiritually bypass them. I don't want to simply conceptualize them. I don't want to, you know, enmesh as them and I don't want to repress them. I want to allow them to be felt and experienced within a skillful process of doing that. And so the saying yes and no at the same time, right? Yes to the validation of the experience, but no to the identity that's established itself inside of them is just, I mean, I think that's why art is followed healing when we call it a healing art, because it truly is an art form. Yeah. And I, I like that, that razor's edge, you know, you, there is the validation that, you know, validate yourself in the experience, but not continually uh, buy into the story that then keeps you in the loop. 
So it's just being able to hold yourself compassionately in that, but not, and, and not bypass it. And not as that. It's like in that, but not as that. It is an art form. And, and it's an art form that I, I feel like the therapists that were showing up in my life they had no idea that they were even in it. They like because they themselves are caught up in their own their own stories, or, or and and so it's like they just buy into each other. And uh, yeah, so was it helpful? Was therapy helpful? It was great as a pressure release valve um, on the what was coming up. You know, this emotional charge these these feeling tones of emotions that i couldn't even name or process i just felt uh, you know like blowing up really and so the therapy allowed for the the pressure to be released a little bit i you know i look out in in the world right now and there's a lot of a lot more conversation around how to support our veterans um, how to work with PTSD, um, just people, you know, I think in the, in the cultural zeitgeist, trauma itself is something that's coming more into awareness and our understanding of it is deepening, but it does seem like sometimes like throw something at it and call it a solution. So like, let's have therapy, but not, let's not really dive into the, the, the nuances of those specific tool sets. Um, you know, you know, I was watching something about suicide and it was like going through this like online therapy thing and and it was like it just seems like you know the recovery center for addiction you know now offers yoga well you know <laughs> i sat down with a, a treatment center once with like a whole presentation of protocols where there would be like an enneagram assessment where you could understand the the root fears and desires and patterns and then shape particular breath work, meditation, yoga, um, et cetera, for each person. And they looked at me bewildered and said, why would we want to do that? We don't want to customize anything. We're trying to move towards a universalized process. They really just wanted to have yoga on the brochure, throw it at it and say, we're holistic. And there wasn't really a depth of really comprehension or intention to really understand the application, the therapeutic application of the tools and genuinely help people. It's been so convoluted with the economics of it all that it seems to at least bring up the question within me, like, you know, cause I look at your story and, I, and I'm, and I'm thinking like, man, how many people, are stuck in this loop, stuck in this trap. So it brings up the question of like, how do we genuinely help? What can we genuinely do? What are the, the tools that work? What are the adaptations for particular patterns? How can we really show up in a skillful way? There's a lot to that. Um, the one thing I heard you, you kind of touch on is like the application and, and how um, we're not trying, you know, these these centers aren't, they're trying to streamline a process where it's like one shoe size fits all. It, it, it does not work 
like it, it just won't work. Everyone has their own life experiences, their own, you know, their own childhood, their own set of belief systems. And I'm not talking about religious beliefs. I'm talking about beliefs about themselves mm-hmm. in the world. And, and then you have, you have people that are type A personality and like you have all these different personality types, like one size will not fit all, but it's, Humans try to make things easy, right? And so if we can just have a format and you put people in and you medicate them and, and on their way they go, and then we can show, oh, well, we've, we've helped X amount of people with depression and X amount of people with anxiety, X amount of people with, you know, drug or alcohol abuse issues. But it's, it's the systems that we have in place right now, from my perspective, are really just again addressing the symptoms rather than the roots of the issues and that's where ayahuasca came into my life at like the perfect time um because rather than trying to find out what was going on which i did in therapy you know you spend all this time trying to figure out what's really happening ayahuasca is going to show you what's really going on inside of and so you can actually kind of move through your body into what your issues actually are so you can start to mentally you know kind of process them and feel deeply you know so a lot of people in my experience like if if something hurts well you don't want to feel it and so you avoid it ayahuasca you can't avoid it you know if that emotion is stored in your body to a due to a traumatic event that occurred in your life, like the way to move beyond it is actually through it. You can't bypass it. And so it brings up these emotions that that have been stored in your body, these memories. So as you're feeling deeply, you're actually able to process mentally and emotionally through your body and your mind, your subconscious, what's actually happened. And so that's why you often hear people say, wow, it felt like 10 years of therapy that actually worked because they're talking about feelings. They're not, they're not talking about their, their understanding of the things because some people, they know what their problems are. They know what happened in life. They know their issues with mom or dad or whatever it is. A lot of people will know what their problems are, but they don't know how to move beyond. And and I think there's kind of a trap there, too. It's like this idea of overcoming the issues because you can't actually overcome them. You actually have to feel and process and learn how to be gentle with yourself through this process. You know, this this idea of like overcoming i'm gonna i'm gonna get it you know it's like what part of you is again trying to prove worth in your ability to overcome that so maybe the the route through it is actually learning how to be gentle with yourself and i'm speaking from my own you know my own life right um this overcomer that's what i was so like you're not you're not going to overcome the overcomer you know so how do you actually 
sit down, relax, and be gentle with yourself when those feelings arise. Because somewhere inside of you, too, is this inner child that felt like they needed to prove something in order to gain validation or love from a parent or, or some form of validation. So in these moments of, of gentleness, um, it's almost reparenting that inner child that maybe did not receive the gentleness while they were just learning. So I know I was kind of jumping around a little bit, but it, it all kind of ties together um, with feeling through what's present inside of you, not just your body, but what's being stored in your subconscious mind. And and these were things that traditional therapy could not do. You're just talking. You know, you're just, you know, traditional talk therapy, you're just talking, you're just, you're trying to build an awareness of what it is. And then they try to give you some tools, which some are great, but mm-hmm. uh, by and large, if you're not even open to trying them, like what good is it you got the pressure release now you're good for a month or two and then you come and do it again and and now you've just formed another pattern yeah it's like advil therapy (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah it's funny i well first off thank you so much for for sharing that and connecting all those dots it was like watching the stars become a constellation and Really, I think you just offered something beautiful to people that are going to be taking this in. Um, and I appreciate you and I honor the path that you've been on and the amount of work and the willingness to really be open to confronting those spaces in a, let's call it meta-conceptual way, like beyond the intellect and beyond the insight um, and also the discernment to sort of keep that witness consciousness of catching where might I still be in a conditioned pattern. It was funny. I flagged something earlier when you were sharing about the, the beliefs that get inculcated in us and you had shared about the false self. And I wanted to come back to this and then dive a little bit more back into ayahuasca. And right before uh, reverse graffiti went to print, I was going back and forth with the editor and it was my last revision. And I had this awakening where I realized that the way I was speaking about this version of me that had developed all these conditioned ways of perceiving the life that I was in was still conditioned. And the way that it revealed itself was I was calling it the false self. And it had this subtle kind of uh, punitive sort of condemning, but it was subtle, but it was like, it's in service of clarity. This is not true. But it, it, it also like, it didn't feel good. Like to the part of me that was like, it, it, what you were saying earlier, like it's, it is valid that I came to perceive life the way that I have through the experience that, 
is that I have moved through and calling it false just kind of feels like I'm being a dick to myself. And I hit this point where I was like, you know what, what, what is it actually then if it's, if it's not fundamentally the truth, but it is fundamentally valid. And as I sat with it and I wanted to bring this into the convo and see and get your thoughts on it. So I, I decided to call it the learned self. And I went back into the book and, and I had to find every time I said false. And man, it was like so many of them. And I just crossed out false, put it into learn, dropped in the editor, you know. And ever since then, I've sort of, it's that framing for whatever reason has allowed me to hold the experience in such a way that you know, it's, it's, it's not like I'm criticizing the inner critic in, a, in an attempt to become less critical. And like, and so I started in my own inner child work where I love this teaching that like information isn't transformation, but integration is. And so in my own inner child work, when I've encountered the embedded beliefs that are based upon a sense of self that isn't fundamentally true to who I am and innately. So I start by saying, thank you. And it was like, before that, as I, I was starting by almost saying, fuck you, like, this isn't true. Fuck you get out of here. How do I, oh, like you said, the overcomer. And I start by saying like, thank you for traveling with me for all these years. It makes so much sense that you would feel this way. Thank you for trying to keep me safe. I could see that you were trying to make sense out of an uncertain and chaotic world. So it, it, it has been an understandable tool. And now we're in a different place and we are able to download, you know, version 2.0 and, and to the part of me that picked up those beliefs and picked up those tools. And I think this is why the conflation like is important to tease out is I want to say no to the one, no to the belief, but yes to the one who believed it and yes to the one who believes it. And if that's the tool that that one picked up to feel safe in a threatening world, and I just say, put it down. You know, I've identified the pattern. I know what it is and I know I have to overcome it and release it and let it go or let go of what no longer serves me in air quotes. You know, it's like such bullshit in a way because it's like, that's what I'm doing to feel safe. And now if I put that down, I don't feel safe. So I think we have to go behind that to meet the person behind the tendency, behind the belief and say, what did you need that you didn't have? And how can I meet that need now so that you can feel safe enough to trust me and that's the reparenting piece and we'll pick up new tools. And also most of the time, it's not even your responsibility or burden to carry. You can come with me, but I've got this and I've got you. And I feel like even in the small experiences of day-to-day -day life, if I can have different outcomes than the ones I believed or preemptively determined would be true. Um, I learn in little bits to trust myself and love myself and then little bits at a time that gets integrated. And so I feel like there's this whole like integration component in the day to day. And then there's these like 
big medicine doses in the like ayahuasca and the plant medicine and et cetera, uh, which I'm excited to explore with you. And then there's like the in-between, which are these embodiment practices, yoga, breath work, meditation, um, you know, maybe people are working with therapists to do brain spotting and EMDR and tapping and, you know, all the other somatic tools that are starting to get some, some more well-deserved attention. So yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Thank you for sharing all of that. That was, that's a lot to dive into. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, so, you know, in my own personal life, uh, I needed the big, the big medicine, the big pattern disruption, because that's essentially what it was. And did I find clarity or resolve in, in, in the first weekend I'd ever drank ayahuasca? Absolutely not, right? That, that wouldn't have been enough. But what it did give me was a pattern disruption. It disrupted what was going on. I did feel through and, and start processing. And so it was really the beginning, right? But ayahuasca wouldn't have been enough, right? Mm. So had I just gone and, and drank ayahuasca again the following week and the following week, like that's, it, it won't work. You know, like you're just going to be building an awareness without the embodiment. You're going to be building the awareness while feeling through things, but the integration piece is so important and you know I, when i hold retreats and, and ceremonies and all of that i really impress upon people the importance of like doing something different you know if you go back to your life and you go do the same things you've always done you're, you're going to go right back to where you were to begin with and that's where practices can come in meditation practices if you've never done it try it you know if you've never practiced yoga try it you know uh, oftentimes in my retreats you know there will be you know a couple of ceremonies there will be a yoga class there will be a breath work ceremony there will be these other things so people can actually experience them um you know it maybe for the first time so they can actually feel the the immediate uh benefit so to speak um which you know if the if the retreat has began the the first night there's ayahuasca and then the next morning people are kind of like whoa what's going on you know all right here's a gentle yoga practice and so people can actually feel how yoga will bring them back into their bodies and they can go wow there is something to this you know and then, you know, you go through the weekend and you're sharing, you do an integ integration discussion where, you know, people can continue to open up, you know, peel back the layers and then, you know, uh, you know, start to feel vulnerable and safe in their vulnerability. And so all the while, they're actually starting to learn that there is safety in feeling and being seen, all the while being held in it, right? And and so it can reflect back to people. Oh, I'm I'm actually safe to feel. Mm -hmm. I'm actually safe. You know. So, what is integration? You can you can talk to a hundred different people, and you're probably going to hear a hundred different things. 
Um, you know, integration is the big buzzword in, in the mental health community, psychedelics, you know, all, all of that right now. And, you know, to kind of touch on what we talked about towards the beginning of our conversation is integration is not one shoe size fits all. You know, for somebody that may lack discipline, maybe it's about time to employ some discipline. Not not in a, I need to be disciplined, right? Because it can go back to this overcomer. Like, I need to overcome my laziness, right? But it's it's this idea of, like, I get to employ discipline in honor of myself. And so it really, integration is actually like reframing beliefs you know it's like and and even the way we speak about them right and and so to to kind of keep diving down for somebody that might be kind of lazier you know like they they don't really want to do much you know when it comes to themselves and i'm sorry if that word rubs up on some things for some people but for some people that lack discipline that might be a better way to say it. Uh, it might be time to employ a little bit of discipline. Like, okay, after this, I'm going to watch my diet. I'm going to watch what feels good when I put it in my body, what actually nourishes me rather than gives me like a dopamine hit, right? Of that feel good. Mm -hmm. you know? So like really starting to notice what like actually nourishes you and nurtures you. And so employing a little bit of discipline in maybe your diet or exercise or uh, daily practice, you know, for some people, the, the idea of meditating for 20 minutes a day, like, I can't do that. All right, well, start small, microdose, right? Like, take micro practices. So, and what I mean by that is sit down for 60 seconds, close your eyes, connect to your breath. You know, if you're starting to feel something bubble up, sit down, take some deep clearing breaths, just you know, 60 seconds, you know, feel your, your butt on the seat, feel where your, where your arms are resting, you know, feel the earth underneath you. It takes 60 seconds, a minute, two minutes, you know, if, if a thought of, you know, a 20-minute practice feels way overwhelming, don't start there. Mm -hmm. Start with a micro-practice. But the idea is you've, you've gone through an experience that has broke the pattern. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and now do something differently. If, if you can't change your food diet from eating pizzas and burgers and tacos and sodas, right? Maybe start small. Maybe with your pizza, add in some broccoli as a side, right? So meeting yourself where you're at, you know? So if, you, if you're somebody that lacks discipline, don't try to change everything all at once because it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And so implementing small things, you know, maybe try to get to yoga class once a week. And, and so when you can start to build a practice, now these big medicine experiences can actually start to integrate naturally in your body, mm -hmm. right? And 
you know, the, the way that I like to think of meditation is, you know, you've got your junk drawer in the kitchen, right? All day long throughout every day, you're just tossing stuff in the junk drawer, right? Meditation is sitting down, opening it up, kind of seeing what's in there, organizing a little bit, maybe taking something out and closing it back up. <clears throat> I want is like ripping the junk drawer out, you're throwing it on the ground, things are flying everywhere, and then you scoop up a few things and you slam it back in. So to implement a daily practice is it's continuing to keep your finger on the pulse or your, or your foot on the gas pedal of the work without without blowing yourself out, right? Like mm-hmm. if you try to change everything all at once, you're going to burn out. And then you're going to have to kind of this feeling of, oh, I've got to start over, mm-hmm. which isn't true to begin with never fully starting over, but to give yourself the time and the space to, to actually change things in your life that support yourself, not out of need, right? That's, that's a key piece here is like when people go, I need to do this. I, I tend to believe that that's coming from a place of guilt or shame or lack like i need to do this or else right it's like so much is on the line yeah Mm -hmm. so if you can even reframe that it's like no i get to nurture myself rather than i need to go meditate i get to it's weird that discipline becomes dedication and devotion rather than this internal authority figure that's usually expressing in some through some sort of inherited model that is actually the opposite of the work that we're trying to accomplish it it's cool man listening to you because you started you know coming out of the military just to juxtapose the inherited pattern and the referral system that you had projecting it into the world and getting the confirmation bias back from the world to validate the learned belief. And here there's also a pattern that is being um, instilled. And in this pattern, I am doing some deep inner work at the level of the root. And then I'm going back out to this integrative processes through meditation, breath work, yoga, et cetera, which is then supporting the deeper work. And, and I've just really moved from one referral pattern to a different referral pattern, but from an unhealthy one to a healthy one. It seems like within that, if there is one pivotal through line that supports the, the change, it would be I've moved to being on my own team. I've moved from beratement to befriendment. Um, so it feels like, like we're learning how to, to, you know, fall in love with ourselves. <laughs> isn't that what it's, isn't that what it is? I think so. Um, but there is the interest in going back to the razor's edge, you know, that, that little piece of you that was the overcomer, right like it it can show back up in the inner work right and so maybe if you'd carried guilt and shame 
before, maybe now you're doing your inner work with that kind of underneath the surface still. So then like, how do you actually go into that? Right. And it's not, it's not by overcoming it. I, you know, one thing that I always come back to is like really befriending and being gentle with yourself mm-hmm. because these little things will show up and, and maybe we've learned along the way how to actually condemn that piece, mm-hmm. right? The false set, the false self, right? So like it's still coming from that little seed of wound, right? And so now what? Like, now what? Like, yes, you're in a much better place, but that little piece is still there, which is actually the driving force. And and so that's, in, in my mind, in my knowing, for me, that's the moving from I need to, to I get to. And And so I can actually drop the, I actually don't need to do anything. I get to. And and it's from that lens in life, you can go, and this might sound crazy to some people, but like I here, I'll I'll give you an example. You know, I've got two two young daughters, one's in, in uh kindergarten. And if I'm having a conversation with my wife and you know, we're just kind of going about our day and, and then I'm like, okay, Hey, I, I need to go pick up Vivian or you know, I need to go pick up my daughter. And then I need to go to the grocery store. And, and so we're expressing needs, right? Does my daughter need to be picked up? Yes. Someone needs to pick her up, but where's it actually coming from? Right? Like I, I'm excited to go pick up my daughter from school. Like, I get to go get her, right? I get to have the car that drives me to go get her, right? I get to have the resources to then bring her to the grocery store to buy groceries to feed our families. I don't need, right? Like need can feel very like, like I'm missing something, right? Do, you know, do we have food in our fridge? Yes, right? But like when when we're talking, like our language actually supports people to keep themselves in lack, right? So as I'm having conversations, right, why can't I just say, hey, I'm I'm going to go pick up our daughter and then I'm going to go grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. Why do I, why do I feel this need to say, I need to do this? I yeah, love like, that. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's almost like coming back to being more direct with our language, right? So now let's let's drop the 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 story about saying I need to go pick up my daughter. If I'm having a conversation with my wife and I say, "Hey, I'm going to go grocery shopping." She might go, "Do we need something?" Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas if I started it by saying, Hey, I need to go to the grocery store. It's almost like this in enrollment that we're missing something. But if I just begin the conversation with, Hey, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Somewhere in us has that, do we need to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so why is our conversation, why are our conversations and our language so supportive in actually enrolling people 
in a lack mindset to allow us to then go do something. Yeah, it's like it justifies it by saying this is necessary because it's a need, you know, and, and even to like take it further, if we were to really push that, we would say, I get to go get my daughter from school and I get to go grow. You would start putting get to's in all those spaces, right? And it's been yeah. so present in the journey of creating this podcast because I, I just literally, it just comes out of my heart that it feels like a get to, but I can feel those old patterns of lack and need that want to, to intervene and co-opt that process and say, okay, we need to get this done. You know, the first episode I had, you know, anticipated launching on January 1st. Well, I ran his first episode. So I'm on a learning curve and I ran into all these tech hurdles and it wasn't going to be open. I could feel the familiar voice that you're describing saying, you need to take off on um, your New Year's Day and New Year's Eve night and really like hunker down and figure this out and follow through because you said that. And I could feel this other part of me chuckle and go like, no, you don't. You really don't. Like there's nobody on earth other than me that's sitting here going like, I can't wait till one, one so I can get like that podcast. It's just not true. And when I remember to do it with joy and with permission and with compassion and with there's so just so much more ease that, and proximity to the blessing of the experience itself. And I started to realize, and like I got up this morning actually, and I felt it come in and it was like, actually had a conversation with somebody and um, I said, you know, I'm going to start at eight 30 this morning and I'm going to end at nine 30 tonight. And they're like, Whoa, that's intense. And then I was like, hold up. Because at 8.30, I'm going to meet a friend to share with her how to play singing bowls because she's starting to teach yoga and could use a little support in that. And then at 10, I get to hop on Zoom and do a coaching session with somebody on the other side of the country and really support their journey into self-integration. And then I'm going to be in a two-hour deep dive, long form conversation with my brother, Alex, to talk about this. And then I'm going to start a 300 hour teacher training and teach a yin and meditation. But like, where's the have to in any, where's the need? And like, it's literally like, if I could go back to the former version of myself who planted all of these intentions and say like, look, you are doing it. These are all the things you've said. I want to do, when did this other guy nudge you out of the driver's seat, take over and be like, I got it from here, you know? And how do we say thank you, but no, thank you. I'm going to do this from a different energy. Cause then we're not really working. It's just like, we're just here, you know, and it kind of brings me to some of the questions I wanted to talk to you about. Like here we are on this rock in space and flowing through, you know, the, the big questions. So not just assign your self identity to the role that you're wearing and make sure you do it so that you're successful and you can, you know, meet the needs that happen to be given to you by a particular culture at a particular time, 
where it's like, if we were born a thousand years ago in another part of the world, we would have a completely different value system that then we would be trying to impose upon the self that's just here plentiful by the merit of their own being that they don't have to do anything, but they can, if they want to, not to justify the laziness or that piece to go so far, but the, the fact that your worth is not conditional upon your productivity and your accomplishments and achievements or to the value systems that weren't even yours anyway. Like how many of the things that we're trying to get out of the things that we're moving towards, like by, for example, if I'm trying to gain worth from achievement, like, was that even my story anyway? Was that even my version? Like, where did I learn that? Cause I could remember being like a little kid and playing GI Joe's on my bedroom floor and having a fucking blast. And just being like, I'm totally fulfilled right here. I know this sense I to be this grandiose thing. And then if there's a grand coronation, it is like there's also a grand catastrophe that balances it out. And so we swing between the highs and the lows. And then the, when we get that need met or we don't, creates all these like adrenaline and cortisol cycles that our body gets addicted to. And we're like, how do I, you know... First off, I think so many of us are just in that, but when we become aware of it, how do I shift it without admonishing it? You know, what you're talking about is so many layers to it. And so there is a, seems to be to kind of get us into this current of Aya, that there is a inherent revelatory quality that brings up this clear witness consciousness that is simultaneously an unavoidable embodiment experience. And I, my first question for you, given that unique paradox is how in the world does this thing work? What is ayahuasca? What is ayahuasca? So somebody that might be like, what are you, what is this blah, blah, blah word that you're saying? What, what is it? Let's, let's backtrack a moment. What is it? And how does it actually work from a physiological into a psychological and what one might define as a spiritual experience? Big question. <laughs> Um, thank you for asking. Yeah. So ayahuasca itself is, uh, it's a tea. Um, it is a psychedelic, um, it's brewed from, and, and different traditions use different things, but, uh, it's the ayahuasca vine, which if you're a numbers person, hey, let this kind of settle in a little bit. There are over 80,000 different plant species in the amazon jungle right and it it requires two parts to brew the ayahuasca brew right it takes the vine right the ayahuasca vine itself you know cut and split into fibrous pieces um and the leaves that of this chakruna bush right and so it's not the leaf 
on the vine, and it's not the bark of the bush. It is the vine itself and the leaf of this other plant, Chakruna, and it's brewed into a tea. And it's not, it's just not steeped for 20, 30 minutes and, and you drink it. It's a, it's a very long process, you know. For me, it takes right around 30 hours to brew a batch from start to finish, right? And it's also not something that you just put on the stove and you go about your day. Mm -hmm. The brewing process in and of itself is a ceremony where you're, 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 you know, you're not getting it too hot. You're not getting it too cold. You know, there's certain steps along the way, you know, straining the brew, you know, into another pot that is going to be reduced and then refilling it. Those are called washes. You know, you go through multiple washes and then a long reduction phase where it's too hot, burn. You know, so it's like it takes a lot of care and attention and intention into brewing this. So and, can, I, can I pause for one second and just ask you to linger in that piece? What is the role that your intention, not just to care for the steps, but yeah, the, yeah, the energy that you are infusing into this and how do you have boundary? How do you have clarity? How do you have empathy? Like what are, what is it? What is that process like for you? How do you hold that? What is it imbued with? My intention in doing this work is to first and foremost, keep everybody safe, right? Physically, uh, mental, emotionally, spiritually. And, and then to follow up with that is to hold space for whatever needs to come up, right? And so that intention is something that I carry with me. Um, now, the intention with the brewing process, right? For me, I remember what it was like to be suffer, like to, to suffer deeply, right? And then there's a piece of me that enjoyed the suffering because it was validating, you know, all of that, that whole story. But I remember what it was like to suffer. And I remember what it was like to feel like there is no escape, right? Like starting to actually like wish I was dead, right? Like to where you're actually like on the verge of like, that's it, right? Just being like tired tired of life right so my intention with brewing this medicine is to help to brew a medicine that's supportive and actually it, the alchemy of suffering so to actually go in and shift right to um to feel through yes but then to actually kind of turn the corner right to alchemize suffering or darkness you know into light into joy into peace into in love with life again you know uh, for me i forgot i had forgotten what being in love with life was because i had not felt it since i was a, a young child and most people have forgotten what it's like and so to to kind of marinate in this brewing process, the empathy is the deep remembering of what it is like to suffer, right? 
and having the intention moving into this to to give people something a medicine that can actually they can internally shift out of their suffering not as a form of bypassing it but like going through it mm. you know and and so not everybody that comes to ayahuasca is in this last resort suffering some people might suffer from anxiety or depression or you know there's you know people that uh, feel they're very empathic and they just kind of absorb from people and we can get into that later but mm -hmm. you know um this this medicine is a cleanse you know so it's it's actually going to cleanse your body too of, of some of these other energies that maybe you're in a, a traumatic home growing up and you're just absorbing you know uh, family trauma and, and things of that nature it can help cleanse some of that for you to then come back to who you are or who you who you really are and for many that that feels like the, the who they were before the world fucked them up and so ayahuasca isn't necessarily um, going to teach you, right, like something new. It's actually going to teach you by way of remembering. This is remembering that. Remembering who you are. I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. And, and remembering that you're here and this is a gift. And for some people, they might go, fuck you, dude. My life is not a gift. And I honor you and, and respect you, too, um, uh, b because I remember what it feels like to say fuck you to people like that. <clears throat> but it's a remembering of, like, your true worth, your true worthiness. And I know I kind of jumped out of the whole brewing process, uh, but I'm going that way. You brewed up something beautiful. Um, I actually think you answered the question not only through what you shared, but the energy that I feel present in the space now. And I'm grateful for what you shared because it speaks to how you hold it. And I know that whomever is preparing something for us, that their energy exists within that. And I appreciate that you hold it with such honor and such regard and such consciousness. And it's why I feel safe doing it with you. You know, it's why I, I, I find that medicine to be beautiful, but I, I feel, and I want to get into your seat of space holder and server of the medicine, but I want to, I want to go back a little bit and I want to speak, I want to ask you to speak to an elucidation of the physiological processes that are occurring within one's body. I think that's part of the safety is why I ask. So for those of us that might not be so open to the mystery and, you know, and, and there might be some trepidation or fear, um, yeah, what's actually going on at a biological level or a physiological level? 
So, um, <laughs> thank you. It's <laughs> a, a fun a uh, question to answer. Um, so after you drink the ayahuasca brew, um, you know, you, you might go through 30, 40 minutes, an hour, you might experience some nausea, you know, people will go, hey, I feel like it's making me sick. And, you know, that's a story, right? That something is doing something to us, right? But, you know, in your body, you know, if, you know, I don't know how many listeners have, have read The Body Keeps the Score or have an understanding about how your body can actually hold trauma. You know, we talk about grunties. We can talk about all these different things that are stored in our body, right? Um, once we drink the brew, like it, it can actually start to excavate some of this trauma in the form of like physical energy. And and it can show up as nausea, right? And so, you know, at that 30, 40 minute mark, people will start to feel, you know, something happening in their mind. Some people will be in it much quicker. Some people will maybe need a little bit more. It all depends on your sensitivity level to the medicine. Um, but either way, as you're going through this process, you, you may start to be uh, mentally, emotionally going to different places in your life, right? And if it's something that's maybe a little troubling, that nausea might start to bubble up even more and, and even purge out, right? And by purge, I mean vomit. Don't worry, I've got buckets set up. You know, you purge into a bucket. But the, the connection that we can start to make is is like not only are we moving the energy of this trauma and mentally and emotionally starting to process it but it's actually connecting us back to the intelligence of our bodies right most people you know because you may not even uh, have a mental emotional experience happening while you're experiencing nausea right and so what's your relationship to the nausea are you going to try to distract yourself from feeling it? Chances are you are, because that's what we do as human beings. But when you start to become present with the nausea, you're actually being present with yourself. Mm -hmm. With the trauma and, that's and, living there. And, and, and it can actually start to move. But <laughs> like the nausea can start to move. It can start to dissipate. You might actually physically move it. But even if you're not going through the mental, emotional, and just the body sensations, the nausea is going to gift you the opportunity to be completely present with yourself in that moment of suffering. And so that's one piece um, in, in like the, the body, right? Um, you speak to the, um, prior to the purge, um, just the dimethyltryptamine, the, um, the MAOI, like what, what's happening in terms of that, the alchemy of the body and, and the brain and yeah. So the, um, 
the the ayahuasca vine has what's called an MAOI, and and this is actually going to slow your body's ability to break down the the DMT. So the DMT is actually the piece that will give you the visions, right? Um, if you were to just drink the tea of the chakruna leaves with the DMT, nothing's going to happen. Your body's going to burn up the DMT just like that, right? So it actually requires the two parts, the two plants. One has the MAOI, which inhibits your body's ability to break down the DMT, right? So now combine the MAOI is working in your body, and now the DMT can rush, you know, flood your mind. So if I understand so correctly, I'm sorry, sorry for the yeah. interrupt. I just want to clarify. So the DMT is endogenous, right? Like we're naturally producing DMT from, and I think we're trying to discover where in the body is that the pineal gland? Is that in our lungs? Is it, you know, what, from where and how and what generates the production of DMT? But that our body is typically breaking this down naturally and organically, and it's bringing in this other piece that is like a blocker it's like setting up a blockade to the breakdown process so that it there's a fuller fledged teaming out a release of the dmt so you have the direct experience of it um and if i am not mistaken that that experience does actually happen in birth and in death that's what they say. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's hard to know. I guess with the well, I guess we could measure DMT levels, and but is there is it possible to measure DMT absorption or breakdown levels in somebody in a birth birthing and dying process? Because if that's the case, then maybe I'm getting a sneak preview to my death process, and where the the veil is thinner on either side of that birth or death. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and where one begins and where one yeah, it's. Uh, but yeah, our our bodies naturally have DMT. There are different foods that we eat that have DMT. When you access different breath works, it's like you can actually flood your mind with DMT. That's why people can have visionary states and and breath work, right? So the DMT is it's in things. It's in everything. It's it's there. The MAOI just in, inhibits the MAOs in your body that would break down the DMT. So, as that floods your body, you know the you know, DMT, the MAOI, you know it's all there. Your, your brain will actually start to fire in many different directions than it normally does. And so, as we kind of move into away from the body and what's happening in your mind. Um, you know, we can we can talk on like neural pathways, for example, right? Um, neural pathways that are like kind of, you know, from the time you're born to you know you're seven, eight years old. Like many of them are formed, right? So these neural pathways are kind of how we view the world, how we view ourselves, how we view ourselves in the world or in relation to other people, and that's where a lot of our beliefs can come from, right? Um, Again, not you know spiritual or religious beliefs, but like beliefs about us and the world, and so these show up as pathways in our brains, and they're called neural path 
grows, right? And then our life experiences can deepen these grooves. So if you think of, you know, like a ski slope, for example, and I'm sure some of you have heard this uh, analogy, but a ski slope uh, with snow, you know, if, if your neural pathways are a ski slope that you go down every single day down the same path, the same path, and if something happens in your day and you're triggered, you go down that path or that path. And so over time, as we get older, these grooves become deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's why many people feel like maybe they're just on autopilot. It's because you are. You're just kind of going through the motions of life. And, and you're going down the same paths, the neural pathways that you always go down, right? And so once you drink ayahuasca, your brain actually starts to fire in millions of different directions than it normally would, right? So now if you think of that ski slope and these neural pathways as being like deep grooves, the ayahuasca is a heavy snowfall that comes over the mountain, right? And so the grooves still exist, but after the ayahuasca ceremony, afterwards, you actually have a moment of almost pause. Am I going to choose to go down the same path that I always go down? Because it's not autopilot anymore. Now the ability to choose a new path is actually easier. And so people will actually talk about like this ability to literally change your mind. Ayahuasca will deliver that because of what's happening in your brain. Um, the neural pathways creating neuroplasticity, the ability to create new pathways, a new way of being. And so to touch on a little bit of what we were talking about before, that's where you can start to implement little things. Mm -hmm. Rather than eat the elephant all in one bite, yeah, bit by bit by bit piece by piece um so that's what's happening in, in your in your body and in your mind it's interesting to hear the breakdown and listen to it through the lens of a lot of my own studies in the yoga tradition and i'm thinking about specifically the opening stanzas of patanjali's yoga sutras when it says which I spent a long time really not just analyzing, but really sitting with the experience of this. And I think it gets misinterpreted like as yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. And then it, it creates that imposing of the will that we were talking about earlier, like sit down, meditate, stop the mind from thinking. Like, I don't even think this is a meditation instruction. I think meditation comes later as like, this is a tool that you can pick up and it's present in some spaces here, but I really connect it more to what you just shared where in yoga is the experience of the, the cessation of, of self-identification with the grooves that have carved themselves into the mental, emotional, neural, physiological experience of self that we're having. And when we experience the cessation of that identification, while the grooves might still be there, but we're learning how to sort of 
parse our sense of who I am out of the identity with those grooves, we then come to rest in the nature of who we truly are. And then it goes on to say, like, at other times, we assume identification with the afflictions. And, and so you, you had presenced grunties, as, for those who might have heard, heard that and it just passed by, they are, in the yoga teachings, the idea of, of a psychological slash energetic or pranic knot that sits in our field. And those themselves are iterations from the samskaras or the imprints that created those grooves in the snow that we're identifying with. And why I wanted to bring up like the movement from the, the physiological to the psychological to the spiritual is that in my last ayahuasca journey, I had an experience wherein I felt the tension, the purge actually, so I actually want to backtrack. I felt after drinking the tea, a, a migratory channel, like I could feel it, <laughs> like moving its way, almost like, like a doctor with a stethoscope listening to different spaces. It was kind of going, okay, clear and into the next room, clear, you know, and, and it makes it way. And right where I already had pattern recognition and some element of pattern disruption, but there was still tension and grunty, like physical tension and energetic grunty of like tightness, tension, pain chronically in my physical body, I felt the migration of this, I'll just call it medicine, hit that spot. And then like a pinprick, I sit up out of a priorly catatonic state and proceed to throw up into a bucket. So thank you for the bucket, Alex. And, You're welcome. and in this experience, there is a very clear perception that isn't it interesting that the place from which I'm throwing up is the part of my body that's always in pain. And that as I am doing this now, I'm going deeper from beyond the, the, the myofascial tension. In fact, the fascia is an interesting piece. It's like beyond the muscular tension. Then the fascial plane starts to hold more property of the pranic aspect or the, or the grunty aspect. And as I create the space to feel what I'm feeling, as you're describing, it becomes a therapeutic, psychological, mental, emotional kind of monomyakosha. moves from the anamaya to the pranamaya to the monomaya. Now I'm in this sort of like mental, emotional experience where I'm like, oh my God, like I can feel that this emotion, it feels like experiences from my past. And I keep sitting and sitting and sitting with it and then all of a sudden I have a vision. This is on, this is the point in the podcast where shit gets weird, just FYI. <laughs> so now I have a vision like, and it comes through like, boom, man, like it's like a flash and I'll, I'm not even Scott anymore. And there is like a wound that gets embedded as a samskara, which is the mental emotional imprint behind the, the grunty that has traveled like for whatever reason, my interpretation of this experience, how I felt it subjectively is that this has traveled with me through many bodies and many lives and 
what I might have a hard time accessing in any sort of regression therapy is actually inaccessible to my conventional mind or intellect, or even this incarnation of name and form that I call Scott. And that I felt, I literally saw it. I can only describe it as like a being that wasn't a human in a conflict that like imprinted a wound that I've been carrying for generations or maybe I tapped into something collective, but it felt more like an intergenerational samskara on the legacy line of my own soul's intergenerational experience, not just like mom and grandma or dad and grandpa and go down my ancestral tree, but like the ancestral tree of my own soul to the degree that we're distinct and and connected, you know, in that, but, and so, so it starts to break down the barriers of the things that we perceive as okay to talk about and what is normal and what's crazy. But I know the experience that I had and sure it's a psychedelic. Um, but when I picked up that bucket after I, I could hold the energy outside of me that was previously inside of me. And I knew it to be something other that got imprinted in that was from beyond this life. And it might not make sense according to the sense-making apparatus that we have conventionalized, but yet it makes total sense to me. And so having sat with this medicine for way more hours than I have, having sat with other people's experience and without looking for the universal one size fits all, what do you hold as truth about the nature of self, life, God, world, reality that defies the norms from the patterns that you've witnessed? Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, these, these ceremonies run very deep, you know, and so for some people, they have beliefs of like, no, one life, you know, I live, I die, I go to heaven, I go to hell. Some people believe in reincarnation. Like, I meet all kinds of kinds, right? Um, meaning different religious backgrounds, different beliefs, you know, all, all of that. Um, one thing that I try to talk to people about is like, whether or not you, you know, because this is where ayahuasca can brush up on religious beliefs for some, right? So you spoke on, um, it felt as though you carried this way from life to life, like your soul's path, you know, like, and so it didn't, it didn't just arise in this life, but it was, it was far more ancient than that. Right. Yeah, I understand that implies reincarnation, which might be contradictory to someone else's belief system and religion. So, yeah. But you know, and this is where when when I speak to people, it's like I'm not going to tell people what it is I think they experience, but I'll ask them questions for them to dig a little bit deeper into finding out what their truth is, because. For me, my truth might be different than someone else's truth, 
right? So at the end of the day, I lean more on to what you're feeling rather than what you're thinking, right? And so the experience, after having an experience, people might lean more onto the thought rather than the feeling, right? And so we go, well, what if it's this? What if it's that? What if it's that? What if it's that? But that's actually, it can, it can actually end up being the distraction from what actually was. At the end of the day, the story doesn't matter. What happened, happened, right? What we assign meaning to is up to us, right? Like it's up to us to assign meaning in however we'd like to, you know? And, and so to, to answer your question, like, what are my beliefs? If you're open to, I don't want to put you in a position, but I would love to hear what you think about these big existential truths based on what you've seen. Yeah. Like, what's your take? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What What I believe is truth is the more I know, the more I know that I don't. And what we have here is a beautifully complex design. Like, my God, we're on a rock that's floating around in space at just the right distance from the sun with the right gravitational pull to support billions, if not trillions of different life forms. Like, it's magic. It's pure magic. It's whatever it is some people say things like god spirit universe i believe that it is all one it is all one thing that all things come from that can be so like you're having your own human experience I believe I'm having my own human experience. But when when you're brought back far enough to kind of where it, you know, where you believe it began, um, we all come from the same place. How does the experience, the revelation of fundamental unity change the experience of individual identity. Could you repeat that question? How does the revelation of fundamental unity, this oneness that you're speaking to, change the experience of individual identity? So great question <laughs> this is fun Thank <laughs> thanks for coming on to the podcast roller coaster ride <laughs> so the experience itself it uh, it doesn't feel new okay it's like coming back to a familiar home right it, it feels like you're remembering it and so then you might go through the mind, mental mind fuckery of like, how do I remember this? I know I'm Alex and I live in Florida and this is beyond me. How do I remember this? Right. And so that's like, how do I remember like, like 
all of that, right? So that that universal oneness, right? Like, and that might sound crazy to some, like, what do you mean oneness? Like, I'm me, you're you, the earth is that, this table is that, you know, this phone is that, you know, like, like, what do you mean we're all, we're all one and we all come from the same place? And, and then how does that affect your life moving forward? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this earth, I start to care for it more deeply, right? I, I start to care for the plants, right? I start to connect to growing food. I start to connect to the life all around me. And, and then as far as humans go, it removes the divide, you know, between you and I. And in my beliefs, you are just another expression of not, not me per se, but of life in general. And life in general involves me. So by me honoring and loving you, I'm actually also honoring and loving myself by giving love, by showing love, by feeling empathy, by feeling compassion. You know, it's, it's actually me loving another variation of this expression. You know, if, if that makes sense, how I worded it, Mm -hmm. because we're all in my beliefs, just different expressions. You know, some might say, you know, we can talk about the Christian belief and you know, Jewish belief. And, and so, like, you know, if we use the word God, right, like if we just use the word God, and that might be triggering to some. Right? I'm in the business of people mm-hmm. pulling up triggers, so I apologize. Mm-hmm. I know of a place you can go to find some <laughs> resolution. <laughs> but um, let's just use the word God. Right, um, or or Brahman or God or Creator, whatever you want to call it, the one, the one that goes by many, right? I believe, you know, and and I can talk on the Christian Bible because I grew up in that in that belief that you know God spoke everything into existence, right? Like this, this speaking. Well, existence had to come from somewhere, right? So, like, if it's if it's if it's God speaking it out, well, isn't his vibration like on this kind of train of thought? Isn't this vibration also a piece of God? Mm-hmm. And so, like, even the Christian Bible says man was made in God's image, right? Which is another rabbit hole of like how powerful your speech really is. Because if if you were made in God's image and God spoke this into existence, doesn't that mean you also have the ability to speak, to create through through speech, right? So if your speech is that powerful, what is the speech you give yourself? Are you saying I need to go pick up my daughter or I get to, mm-hmm. right? But like, it all 
like there's so many layers to all of this that you know i think we could probably sit here and talk all day um but belief my belief is welcome to change i welcome change to my beliefs uh because i take that as a form of growth right so you know if you're listening to this podcast a year or two years or three years from now know that my belief has changed probably pretty drastically but not in like a i was here and now i'm here it's it's just a continuation right so don't don't hold me to what i say today <laughs> 10 years from I love the disclaimer. It's like wear the belief like a loose fitting garment because at the end of the day, a belief is a really a concretizing of an idea that sits as as its construct thought. So it's of the mind. And so it's a produced aspect of whatever fundamentally is trying to turn its reflective lens upon itself to comprehend itself we're kind of like a couple of cavemen stumbling upon an ipad in some like wormhole experience where the universe has folded itself upon itself and we're trying to figure out what it is in our hands and and then the ipad's like showing a a, a mirror back to us and saying you're it and it's <laughs> you know it's just like absolutely uh in in a, in in one sense the most fulfilling an unfulfilling experience that one could ever have. Because I think when you're living on the crest of that wave, it's the most satiated you've ever been, but there's always the experience of something more. So it's simultaneously the least satiated that you'll ever be. And you know that, and you're present to that. So the disclaimer is fully received. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, so I, I kind of want to keep driving the conversation further into these back roads. And in my experience, like listening to conversations, sometimes they touch on some points and they don't like fully unpack them or they're like, maybe they start to get like a little tiptoey. Like, I don't want to offend or I don't want to this or that, or I don't like, I, I really, I want to hold strong to the conviction that while beliefs can change and be different, they can also be shared and expressed and explored to really have meaningful conversation. And, and so with your permission, I'd like to um, just hold the iPad and like look at it upside down and take it apart a little bit more. Is that cool? It is. Okay. So just kind of like stop me, but you know, if, if it feels like a space you don't want to explore. Sure. <clears throat> so that said, when we say God spoke or created or something came from nothing, there's a common denominator to the speech, actually, to your point, that each of these words um, spoke came, they all have this subtle implication of past tense. And it seems to me that if we're talking about <laughs> what has been created, that we're actually talking about space, we're talking about the material cosmos. And if time is a measurement of how we experience our movement within this dimension of space, and hence we call it a space-time continuum, then by extension of that understanding that there wouldn't actually 
could it actually be a severing of those constructs? Meaning there can't be a time when there's no space if time and space are one. And that our conditioning to look within a chronological linear expression of time in an attempt to go outside of that is an impossible and self-defeating proposition. And that if that's what's fundamentally at play and where instead of going back in time to find source, what if we went through these, these variations of vibrational degrees of frequency of consciousness in the ever present now, and instead of going backwards, we went inwards, we went beneath and behind, meaning that I didn't come from source. I, as in a long time ago, I, uh, it's not that I came from source, let me say it that way, but that I come from source. In other words, it's here now, existing in this moment, I'm there, you're there. At some element, those branches are actually joined before they split, which is why I recognize you not only in me, but as me at some level and also honor the individuated nature of our distinct but undivided experience. And I see that that is happening right here now, and that's where I am. And that it's to that, that, that I shall, in, in a sense, I'll say return as a convention of speech, but really never left. Um, and so to the point of maybe somebody that I love that is no longer here in the physical sense, that they're, oh, they're already with me in that space right now. And I'm, I'm there too. And the degree to which I could reveal those layers, I would reveal that that's what I am. And then I would express as that into this moment. Beautifully said. Was there a question? In I don't know. I think it was more of just a reflection of how there's a tendency to yeah. distance ourselves from what is true by putting it back in time or somewhere else or out there one day, I'll get there in the beginning, in the beginning or in the future. Yeah. If I do enough work as to overcome, as you were saying earlier, then I'll get there. There's always some there that's not here. That's the point. It's kind of funny, isn't it? It is funny. And it, it keeps us separate it. from what's true in the name of coming into relationship with it. And I just want to give voice to that. I want, I want to be on record <laughs> with, with this comprehension. Recognizing in full like humility that I'm the caveman holding an iPad and not with the intent of triggering anybody that might have a different belief system, value system, understanding. I, I invite, I want to hear all of it. I just, I don't want to avoid saying any of it in an attempt yeah. to keep the peace. Cause I actually think that doesn't keep the peace. It buries the, the, the conflict. And I think when we right. learn how to say how we're experiencing it, but can and but not be identified as belief while having belief, then I there's space in me to hear your belief 
even if it's different than mine. And then maybe that can create a model of how we can live in connection amidst a plurality of beliefs. I, I think that's very important. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people in our society try to talk in such ways to like not offend each other. And, like that's great. Like that's great. But I think that sometimes we get lost in it rather than just being direct. Mm -hmm. For example, I need to go grocery shopping or I'm going grocery shopping. And so it's like this, like I'm I'm going to kind of walk around uh, and, and, and not say what I mean because I don't want somebody to uh, be offended or hurt or, 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 you know, some sort of altercation to happen. Okay. So I do think it's important to share in truth and, and also learn how to hold others in their truth as well. You know, absolutely. Presencing all of that. Yeah. I think it's, it's valuable for us to become unvarnished in the way we speak about what is true for us without requiring that someone else share that belief. Like you might have heard me just share the experience of that I've had in ayahuasca, the, what I just spoke to about the nature of spirit and time and, and have a completely different perspective on it and be in deep agreement, deep disagreement, whatever it may be. I just want to bring it from the hidden out in front of us and learn how as a species to communicate these things with one another. You know, we were raised, at least I was like, don't talk about religion and politics. You know, that was the big axiom, you know, because this is stuff we care so much about, but like, don't speak about it. So the result is there's a vacuum of skillfulness in learning how to speak about these things. So I chose the name Healing the Divide for the podcast, not as a kumbaya, but as a let's bring it out. Let's talk about it. Let's find the ability to talk about it, get curious together, hold it differently, be it what it's what it may. But when I look at the way, you know, I want to, I want to drive this conversation and get your insight on this too. When I look at the way our species is evolving on this planet, go super macro with me for a moment. And then given the deep considerations of healing that you have come upon through this particular plant or maybe other plant medicines or other journeys that you've done, like what are the implications of this sort of work, if it were given, let's just say that Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin sat down to do ayahuasca together, what would come of that in your estimation? Oh, well, they'd need way more than one ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... One thing that I know to be true uh, about ayahuasca is that when you work with ayahuasca, it might not be the first time, the second, the third, but you come to a place of understanding that 
underneath, behind, and through all things is love. Like, whether it's love or hurt love. You know, I believe hate is just love that's been really hurt, right? And so to be able to come to a place of actually seeing love for each other by actually finding love for ourselves like it's like which one came first i think it all kind of comes together right but if if two world leaders were to come together and drink ayahuasca i think that the, it would at least open the dialogue right between the two to start to meet each other in a more common ground a more humbled state a more raw emotional state um to actually be able to feel each other, right? Like not physical touch, but to be able to feel each other. Um, and it's very quickly how the mind will like try to attach back to a, an old thing, right? Because then what could happen is like, no, 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 no. What you experience is this, right? And And so then it could like, these big egos can just like absorb the information. And now it's like, look at me. Mm -hmm. I'm spiritual, blah, 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 blah. Right. It's like it recreates itself around the process as the possessor of the experience it has yeah. and then utilizes it as a way to essentially usurp the, the, the seat of identity that was created for a brief glimpse to feel that I'm something more than that, but that feels too threatening to the world that they live in both externally and internally. And so we sort of keep, there's this, there's this deep nature to awakening where the ego wants to keep patterning itself around the experience it's having in order to be the one that had the experience. And, and so how does that process change? It's difficult. And maybe difficult isn't the right word, but to have somebody there as the the person to receive them afterwards, mm. right? That that has enough skill and tact and 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 also trauma informed you know, to not re-traumatize someone, not to push beliefs, but to receive them and, and be able to hold the container for them to find their truth rather than trying to, like, prove their worth in understanding. Mm -hmm. if, if that makes sense. It's... It's not going to be perfect after the first time, you know, the, we're not trying to overcome the ego, you know, but a lot of people come into it with, I need to, it's like, mm -hmm. how do you shift these millions of different like ripples from, I need to like get in there and figure it out. So I can like every step of the way is very thoughtfully considered and you can't it's not like you can just 
get it and figure it out and it's done. Right. Right. That's where I was in my mind. It's more of a dance than a destination. Like how do I learn to dance gracefully with permission and love and softness and warmth and empathy for the part? Cause it, it, it is fascinating that quickly, as soon as the ego aspect of our nature perceives itself as obstacle in some way or capacity, it then enrolls itself to overcome itself, which is kind of fascinating. But the, it seems to me the only way out of this loop is to recognize that there's actually nothing wrong with it, that it's actually quite natural and organic to the process itself. And when I understand it and I can relate to it as aspect rather than essence, it gives me the space to see it as instrument to express individuation rather than the basis of self itself. Does this make sense? It does. And so there comes a point where... And you, and you almost have to go through this pendulum of like you're 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 in these you know you're way over here now you're way over here, but you know through this process with ayahuasca, you know we learn we learn about ourselves, but there are also key uh, things that we can pick up along the way, like the art of surrender, like learning how to surrender. Mm-hmm. We don't know how. And and so this medicine, uh, sacrament, if you will, um, can we can start to learn the art of surrender, how to accept things as they are, to accept ourselves as we are, right? And that's kind of touching on like that gentleness. It's like I, I recognize I'm in a loop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so like surrendering and accepting. And through accepting, we can start to be humbled, right? Humbled by our life experiences, humbled and realizing that like maybe we've been held and supported by something, whether it's God, universe, us, whatever it is, is like through this humbling process, like this feeling of like being held so deeply and that like nothing is actually wrong. Your whole life was beautiful. Your whole life, even the struggle, even the suffering, even all of that. And we can start to, through this, like, humbleness, this completely humbled heart, like, understand that, like, even the things that we've done wrong have led us to where we are now. And so, therefore, they had to happen in order for you to be here now in this now which is beautiful right so when we start to think behind us and in front of us it might be depression it might be anxiety but like right here if we're present what's so terribly wrong right so it's through this process of surrender acceptance humility that then we can start to remember how to learn like remember what trust really is and so now we just trust that everything is as it should Now, again, keeping in mind this razor's edge that we talked about at the beginning, 
that is a slippery slope to bypass, right? So I'm kind of bringing you through surrenders really first up on the docket with ayahuasca, acceptance, humility, trust, you know, all of these things. Love is woven throughout, um, but trusting that everything is as it should be is not implying that we're not meant to take action right so trusting that life is beautiful doesn't mean you shouldn't take action right so if you see somebody harming someone you're not going to just be like it's supposed to happen mm. right you're not going to do that you're going to step in right and and somewhere in there if we can rather than condemning the human being that's perpetrating right like rather than like making it to be them right we can we can love the person while condemning the action <laughs> and so if we can hold all of this and this is just my own belief right <laughs> my own way of being is i'm not going to hate the person right i'm going to love the person but condemn the action right and and also hold it all with compassion and understanding that like that's just where they're at but that doesn't mean i shouldn't do anything right i might right? still exit a relationship or right. it whatever it might mean while still recognizing the deeper truth of who and what they are so if i believe that everything is one thing call that spirit god whatever and then this person doesn't stop becoming that because their behavior becomes incongruent with the re with the recognition of that according to my subjective lens and how I feel in relationship to them. So how do I recognize that everyone is fundamentally and inherently call it God, universe, spirit, Gus, right? Like, like you are that. And um, not just when it's convenient that it's an unconditional recognition of truth that at the same time doesn't generate such a degree of bypass that I don't take skillful and appropriate action to support safety in any circumstance. And so that said, first off, am I getting, am I getting you? And, and sure. that's, yeah. that's sort of subtle delineation. Um, yeah, that said, according to your understanding of all this, and this and one other question for you, cause we're kind of, we're coming to our, our, our time. Um, Ah, turns out it's real <laughs> time. <laughs> um, and so it is. So we will live with, we will know it for what it is and still live within its, uh, its uh, you know, brackets here. So are we ever not on our path? You're always on it. You never worked on it. <laughs> so... And then honoring that this point that we still work within the spaces that we're in, how does one know if it's the right time for them to sit with ayahuasca? 
now we're getting into the call, you know, the call. You know, if you've heard about ayahuasca, you, you've probably also heard people say, I've been called to drink ayahuasca. I felt called, so I went and drank ayahuasca. And so, like, what is this call, right? If you're listening to this, maybe, you know, this morning or whatever, you're Googling, like, hey, what's ayahuasca? And then you come across this podcast and you're like, oh, my gosh, right? Like, certain things can start to just, like, click into place. Like you don't actually have to. It's it's like you don't have to find it. It will present itself, and within you, if there's curiosity, if there's desire, if there's some piece of you that goes, hmm, right? Some people will listen to this and go, oh, interesting. But then there's some people that'll go, hmm. you know, it's that little hmm voice. Like there's something, there's something there to be explored. Whether you drink ayahuasca or not, there's something in the hmm that needs to be explored, <laughs> that that could be supportive mm-hmm. to explore. Um, for me, you know, when I look at little children, like how do they learn? You know. Well, first, curiosity, right? And then in comes desire. Well, hmm, I'm going to go check that out. So curiosity followed by desire, right? And then they, you know, maybe it's a hot stove or something, and you've told them it's hot, right? But they don't know, right? They don't know. And so now with your kind of guidance maybe they have the awareness or the knowledge that it's hot but not the internal wisdom Mm, right mm -hmm. and so hearing the knowledge of oh this is hot they might tap rather than rest their hand on it right and so now they've tapped it and they go okay that's what hot means so first curiosity then desire then action can lead to an understanding and an embodiment of wisdom right so my daughter the other day, three, almost three years old, uh, my wife told her, you know, she's making tea, not ayahuasca, but just <laughs> gather just around, kiddos, herbal, <laughs> regular herbal tea. And she said, that's hot, you know, and turned around. And my daughter spilled this very hot tea, right? And it's like, I, I told you this is hot, you know, got put ice on it and all of that. You know, she's crying and it's like, but she didn't actually know, right? She can believe you, right? Now she will. Now she'll believe you when you say this is hot. But she actually, unfortunately, needed to have that to understand, to have the the wisdom that like, oh, when it's hot, I need to be careful. And so first comes curiosity, then comes desire. Then comes some action, and then comes some understanding, right? And so, if if somebody has that little hmm, moment, sounds like there's curiosity. You know, pay attention. Maybe desires to follow, but also understand the flip side of it is that hmm. You know, then we can almost entrap ourselves a little bit, like. Are being called or not being called? Like, 
if you're if you're thinking about it once or twice a week or you know and it just starts to build 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 like know that that is the call and it's showing up as a form of curiosity or desire um and you may not even know what it is that like you're looking for you know like maybe you think you're in a really good place like but you're just curious like explore the curiosity and i don't mean go drink ayahuasca i mean just like go sit on your mat meditate do some breath work pay attention to your dreams you know these really big experiences uh in life they show up in many different ways you know meditating breath work yoga dream world you know it's pay attention you know and maybe lean into curiosity a little bit whether or not you ever drink ayahuasca or not like i believe when curiosity shows itself we're curious for a reason mm, love that maybe thank you for that that's beautiful i think it's a big part of it is understanding how to navigate the question of not only is this for me but is this for me now and how we internalize that is, is an important piece that is often not presenced um to the degree of um of importance that it carries i want to end with this question if you could travel through time from in an ayahuasca journey and meet Alex of 2009, what would you say to him? Nothing. Beautiful. That would take, that would take like, isn't the destination actually the journey? Mm. Beautiful. Like, I wouldn't change my life. I love that. I wouldn't say a damn word. <laughs> because I because I know it's all going to work out exactly the way it is. And forward in time, I know 80-year-old me isn't coming back to tell me what's up because that would take kind of the... I love the mystery. I wish and we I had... It... Sorry, please continue. I think that's the beauty of being in love with life. It's like being in love with the mystery. If I knew in 2009 that I'd be here right now, like I'd be going through the motions to just get to here rather than like in it. I love the experience of life. It is so beautiful and so wild the way... <sighs> we can move from a fear of a potential future outcome and picking up the tool, the instrument of control to try to influence the outcome in a particular way that we think will provide us with a deeper sense of security only to find out that the threat is not real. And because of being what you truly are, you are fundamentally secure and that security is not at threat. And in that moment, 
there is an alchemy where the uncertainty is transmuted from a space of being riddled with fear to pregnant with the possibility of mystery, awe, wonder, synchronicity, spontaneity, enchantment, and vitality precisely for and because of the uncertainty being part of it. And you, you don't just go from being scared of it to okay with it. You actually become grateful for it. It's the very thing that injects this experience with vitality because we are on a choose your own adventure story. And dude, you have chosen (laughs) each step of the way, this incredible adventure. I'm so grateful for you sharing all the pieces of the journey from childhood to the military, to the years bouncing through therapy, to the discovery of ayahuasca, which is really a discovery of of self that continues to unfold in new and unimaginable ways. um, And that you lead a life of service in, in supporting um, the one in all you, in you, in your family and your friendships, your community, and, and to all the places you'll continue to grow into in um, coming home to the awe and beauty and magic and, and zest for this thing we call life and all of its mystery. And I, I bow to you. I'm grateful for you. I love you. And I, I'd love to close with just sharing with people if you want to, if you feel that call and that curiosity and you're interested in exploring further, please, please, please check out Takun Healing Center, T-I-K-K-U-N, um, which is in Loxahatchee, Florida, and a beautiful opportunity um, to uncloak a little bit and in a space. Um, I will share a testimonial of like incredible safety in working with Alex. There's no spiritual aggrandizement. There's no um, sort of shadowy hierarchical energy present, which can sometimes occur in these spaces. It's, it's with love, it's with devotion and reverence, um, to this experience of unfoldment, um, and, and, and beautiful neutrality and, and grounded space holding. Um, so love you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything you would like to add to that? Um, closing how people can reach you. That was perfect. And thank you so much for sharing this way. Like I couldn't imagine spending a couple hours uh, doing anything else. Like this is, I love this and, and I love you too. And thank you so much for having me on. I, I, I look forward to seeing where it all goes. Yeah. It's to, to the, uh, to the uncovering of it. Yeah. And, and I hope we get to do it again. I'd love to um, continue the conversation in in new ways um, with you and maybe having multiple guests um, that have different questions and experiences and angles and perspectives to share that might be different and put them together and see what happens, you know? I would, I would welcome that. Yeah, same. All right. Thank you again. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Um, you know, I say everybody, I know you're probably listening to this by yourself in your headphones or in your car or something like that. So thank you to you. Thank you to you for, um, 
um, taking the time to spend a couple of hours with Alex and I hope you found it meaningful and a contribution to your journey. And it's an honor to be showing up in this way. And thank you for including us in, in your path. Catch you next time.